magnify him together. Lord, we thank you and praise you. I thank you and worship you. While we were yet sinners, you died for the ungodly. Amen. And gave to us an understanding of what special love is. And so we give it back to you tonight in our praise and in our worship. Why don't you clap your hands and thank the Lord. Hallelujah that he does such a great, great work. And we are recipients. We are recipients of it. Amen. While you're standing, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 13. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13. We will read verse 13 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 13 and 14. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The NIV says anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Amen. I'm going to speak to you for a few moments tonight on two paracletes, two paracletes. Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We ask that you would help us tonight. We thank you for Tuesday on the rock and your word is a rock and a strength to us. We value it greatly and we pray that it would edify and encourage everybody gathered together tonight in Jesus name. We pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. You can be seated. How do we, as people who are people of faith, how do we exercise our senses? King James says that we exercise our senses to discern both good and evil. Another translation says, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good for evil. It is very apparent that as people of faith, we need help in this regard. How do we train ourselves? How do we distinguish? How do we discern? Everyone say discern. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them discern, discern. How do, how, how do we discern what is the difference between good and evil? How do we, by constant use, train ourselves to make that distinguishment from good and evil? So we need some help in this regard. And there are some tools at our benefit, obviously. The Word of God is a great tool and resource to us. And it's from His Word that we also understand that there is something that is very, very significant that helps us in a world that we live in to make proper discernments about many, many things, whether it's environments, whether it's the culture that we live in, whether it's voices in the culture. You have to be very, very careful that voices outside of the church who are in the culture do not infiltrate 
and then influence what is inside the culture of the church. The culture of the church is greater than any other culture, whether it's in the United States or Russia or any other part of the world. The kingdom of God is more important than the country that you live in. Now, I want to say this emphatically. I am very thankful to be in the United States of America. I've traveled enough to know that what has happened here is a good, good thing. <laughs> and we have the opportunities and freedoms, and we the people have opportunities and freedoms that they don't have in some places. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be where I am. Very, very much so. And yet at the same time, I understand there's a lot of voices in the world that speak a lot of different things. Be careful who you're listening to and be careful who is influencing you. If you're not careful, you will become influenced by the wrong voices and you'll get caught up in that initially. And then you'll realize at some point I've got buyer's remorse. This is not what I thought it was. <laughs> and all you would have to have done is go on their website, look at their mission statements, follow, see what they're saying, doing and more importantly, what are their actions? I want to tell you tonight that the actions of the church should be greater than just what we say. It should come out in what we do. It should be about who we are and what we do in action. Amen. I don't want to be influenced by the world that I live in. I know it's very, very difficult because every single day it's a constant montage of stuff that is vying for your attention. Thank God in the house tonight there are people that came to this place because you want to be influenced by the presence of God and the anointing of God and not everything else. Amen. So we need some, we need some help in this regard in terms of how do we train ourselves to distinguish from what is good and what is evil. And I have given to you a title, to paracletes. And paraclete is a word that comes from the Greek New Testament. John uses it uh, exclusively, but it's found in other places, which is parakletos. Parakletos. Now, why would I use a Greek word? I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to help you understand that in some languages, certainly in biblical languages, which, by the way, biblical language is not something that you learn to speak. It's an ancient language. Nobody speaks it anymore. So when you learn biblical language, <coughs> you're reading a you are learning a language only to read, not to speak. Modern Greek has some associations, but it's not the same language. This is an ancient language. And there are terminology and words that are defined in specific ways in the Greek language that then the King James Version and many other translations, English translations that come along, they have to look at what that word is and then they have to make some kind of translation into English so it would be understood by English readers. Parakletos is what John uses in the first century to describe something. And I want us to delve into that just a little more so that you understand what the definition of it is and how it affects me and how does it help me to become one that can discern right environments, atmospheres, circumstances, the difference between what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. And obviously, we do need some help in this regard. And God is not going to leave us alone He's not going to forsake us, but he's going to provide to us the ability, the thing that is necessary to help us in this endeavor. This thing called parakletos is not called in by people, but it is sent by God 
It is given by God and it is received by God. You don't, it doesn't come from somebody that, that proposes to you that I'll confer on you this gift. That's not the way that it works. It doesn't come from an individual. It comes from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and John is saying this is something that is very, very powerful. And in John chapter 14, verse 26, he describes the parakletos. He says, but the comforter. Now, the King James Version had to take parakletos in that passage of Scripture and say, okay, what English word are we going to use to translate parakletos? And how are they going to know what that even means? Well, they're going to have to do a lot of study. They're going to have to look at how words were used in the first century both in the scripture and outside of the scripture to understand what the word means. And so so to get at that, they're going to have to look at a lot of different vocabularies and usages in order to make sure that they've got the right interpretation. And and sometimes uh, they do, and sometimes it's not exactly specific. But here, John said the parakletos is the comforter which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. This is Jesus speaking. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. John said the parakletos is the comforter. That's how he describes the Holy Ghost. So a word can be defined and it can have multiple meanings. That is so, that's what is so powerful about a particular word. There, there can be more than just one meaning, depending on the word. It can have some depth to it. And so John gives to us a, an introduction. First of all, he said the Holy Ghost is the comforter. Are you thankful that God brings to us comfort? My, there are some times in life, circumstances in life, when we need the comforting of God's presence and God's spirit. I may not know which end is up, down, left, right, north, south, east, west, but one thing I do know is God's presence is ever with me. Amen. And there have been moments and times in my life when I was confused, but I felt his strength, and his strength brought comfort to me. Has anybody ever experienced that? Can anybody ever testify to that? Hallelujah. The comfort of God. James said he's the comforter. John chapter 15, verse 26. But this is Jesus again speaking. But when the comforter is come, Jesus is speaking these words, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth. Now he describes not only is the parakletos the comforter, but he's also the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. What gives me the ability to make right discernments? If the spirit of truth is in my life, it is going to help me in that endeavor. John chapter 16 and verse number 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. Jesus speaking. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart... I will send him unto you. Amen. So Jesus is saying, I am the first paraclete. I am the spirit that comes from God, manifest in the flesh, walks among humanity. He's the first paraclete. 
In this passage, he says, if I stay with you, I can't send the paraclete. I can't send the spirit of truth. I can't send the comforter to you. So I must go away so that I can send the spirit of truth or the comforter. What is Jesus saying? I'm walking among you. You can see me. You can see the miracles that I do. You, you, can, you can examine all of those things, but I must go away because I'm sending something to you that's not going to be my personal presence in a visible form and manifestation, but it's going to be a spiritual presence that is going to come into your life and fill you with anointing and power that is going to be just as powerful as if I was physically with you. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? Praise God. We didn't have the opportunity of the 12 disciples. They had the opportunity of seeing the first paraclete. They, they viewed him. They, they walked with him. They saw all the miracles. So they had an advantage in some ways, but Jesus said, I need to go away so that I can send the paraclete to you. And when I send the spirit to you, it's going to be just like you being able to see me in physical manifestation, and yet my spirit is going to be in you. We need the spirit of truth. We need the comforter. Praise God. It would be nice to have Jesus here in visible form, but we don't. But we've got something that's just as good and great. We've got the comforter of the Holy Ghost that is in our life. Praise God. Amen. Now, there is depths and levels of this term. Not only is it a good word, and not only does it bring a spirit of truth, but it brings active help. The sense of a helper and an intercessor. You, you look at this and you do some study on word studies and you will find that we can see how the King James Version has taken this word and they've applied it. But in the normal meaning of parakletos in Greek literature, it means an advocate. It has a very uh, legal sense to it, like someone that is in the court speaking on someone else's behalf. Rabbinic literature refers to Michael or other angels at advocates for Israel in the heavenly courts. Good deeds and repentance are a person's advocates before God. The advocate is, is kind of like a defense lawyer. It's in a legal sense, the advocate. So the parakletos is a comforter, and it is a spirit of truth, but it's also an advocate that stands in behalf and on behalf of you. Praise God. Jesus, when he was on the earth, was an advocate for people that were disenfranchised. As a matter of fact, they called him a glutton and a drunkard. Why? Because he fellowshiped with Zacchaeus, who was a publican, a tax collector that was hated. He rubbed shoulders with the woman at the well, who was a, was a person of ill repute. They tried to castigate him for that. But he stood as an advocate for the people who were broken, the people that were, that were uh, distrustful, the people who had been maligned and mistreated. He was an advocate for those people. He looked at the Pharisees and said, I, I didn't come to, to, to heal them. 
a hole. You're whole and you think you've got everything together, but I came to seek and save that which was lost and that needed healing. And so he was an advocate for those individuals when he was on the earth. Praise God. I'm thankful for that example because we should feel the same way. God reached out to us and saved us when we would have been marginalized on the outside, on the fringes. We didn't have any right. We didn't have any history, pedigree, finances. And God said, I see value in you, and I'm going to advocate on your behalf. I'm going to reach out to you and save you because you're worth saving. worth saving. You're worth reaching for. He's an advocate. And this is where we get in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an, what is it? We have an advocate. The advocate is the paraclete. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. This is more than just a comforter or a spirit of truth. This is one that stands ready to defend you. <laughs> Praise God. When the enemy wants to come and accuse me, there's an advocate that stands and says, wait a minute, it's not over until it's over. <laughs> I understand and recognize that they're not perfect, but I didn't come to try to save them to their their perfection, I came to save them from where they are and what they can be. So we're still in the process of the perfecting. And so I'm going to advocate on their behalf. I want to tell somebody in this place tonight, if you're not right with God and you need to get things right with God, know this, there's an advocate and he is Jesus Christ the righteous. When the enemy wants to bring that judgment out and bring all those failures out, there's, a, there's an advocate. There's an advocate that stands in a role to defend you. Amen. John chapter 16 and verse number 7. Jesus said, I must go away so that I can sin. I can sin. The advocate, the comforter, the spirit of truth, and the role of the paraclete or the role of the Holy Ghost is to continue the revealing work of Jesus Christ. It's not to satisfy our curiosity of the future. And, and that can be. But I, he filled me with the Holy Ghost so that I could continue his work in the earth. Amen. Not, not that I could have some major prophetic understanding of what's going to take, hap, take place in the end times and then build up my own reputation so I can impress people. No, he filled me with the Holy Ghost so that I would continue the work that he in his ministry was doing. Praise God. You received the Holy Ghost not because God just wanted to shower you with a gift, and that's great, and that's dandy, and whoo, the Holy Ghost is great, and that's powerful, and that's all there is to it. God filled you with the Holy Ghost so that you could be used by him in his kingdom to continue his work on the earth. 
I really didn't know that. Well, that's the depth of what the Holy Ghost is. Every single one of us is called to be Christ-like. And if he was the first paraclete and said, I've got to go because I'm going to send the paraclete to everybody so that everybody can do what I'm doing here, then every single one of us have an opportunity to say, I'm going to be Jesus to a dying world. I'm going to be Jesus to a world that has lost all hope. I'm going to be Jesus to a world that's looking for something that has value. And this reveals a theology of the spirit that is not just an identity. Praise God. We're strong on our identity. We receive the, the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and that's powerful. But this passage that we read in Hebrews said we can't just keep drinking milk. We have to eat some meat because meat is for the mature. If I stop short of the Holy Ghost and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, you know what I've stopped with? I've stopped with the overwhelming presence of God that is powerful. There is no arguing that. That is anointed that people say. Uh, I was talking to Sister Sandra, and she said, I thought you all were nuts until I got the Holy Ghost and revealed that's really real. <laughs> and she, she said, it's been one of the greatest things I've ever experienced in my entire life. But you can't stop right there. If you stop right there, it's just a feeling and emotion, and it's something that happens that is good. But God didn't fill you with the Holy Ghost just to identify you with just that. But he put an infilling of the Holy Ghost in your life because there is something beyond the infilling of the Holy Ghost. What's beyond the infilling of the Holy Ghost? Beyond the infilling of the Holy Ghost is the ministry of the kingdom of God. And you've got a place in it. And you should, you should put your hands to the plow and say, I'm going to plow some furrows of ministry because of his presence in my life. Amen. What is beyond that initial tongue-talking experience? Well, there's a lot beyond that. Amen. How do we discern between what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong? The Holy Ghost, the paraclete, the Holy Ghost, the spirit of truth, the comforter, the advocate is in our life to help us make those representations. In the world that we live in, the advocate, the Holy Ghost, the spirit of God is in our life to help us in that very difficult task when there is a pervading or surrounding influence or spirit, a general mood or social environment, it helps us to make the right determinations about what the real truth is in the middle of that environment. There are some things that the Holy Ghost is going to talk to you about. There are some things that the advocate is going to direct you in your life, whether or not it's right or whether it is wrong. You may not be able to physically touch it, taste it, smell it, hear it, or even see it. Those are the five physical senses. But you've got something in your life that is greater than all of those senses, and it's called the Spirit of God in your life. Praise God. That is going to help you make determinations about what you read, about where you go, about 
about circumstances that you face when you realize this is not a place for an apostolic, God-fearing, faith-believing individual. I'm out of here. Why am I out of here? Because the Holy Ghost is directing me. The advocate is helping me make proper discernments. If we're going to get any, anywhere in 2021, we've got to have the advocate in our life helping us make right determination. You can't have somebody walk around with you with a long list of do's and don'ts. Somewhere you've got to have the Holy Ghost in your life that builds some convictions that says, I'm not going there. I'm not wearing this. I'm not talking this. I'm not doing this. I want the advocate to direct me. Hallelujah. Come on, let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together. We need his spirit. We need his spirit. Amen. There's so many, so many things that can vie for our attention. Amen. There's some places I do not go or attend, not because of what I can collect on the palate of my senses, but because there's a certain feeling that makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to make a big scene about it. I'm just going to extract myself from the situation because I don't want that environment or that situation influencing or dictating to me. Praise God. Ladies and gentlemen, this, this, is, this is where you have to have the spirit. I am all for reaching out to everybody. Some of you work in, you work in careers. You're rubbing shoulders with individuals. You've got family members that are not church-going folks. You've got relationships that you've got to manage. And it's a proper balance that you have to manage some of those things. If you get too deep into any of that to where it starts influencing your walk with God, you need to make the proper corrections. And the Spirit of God is supposed to be there to help you understand, I've crossed the line. I've gone too far. I, I need to get back where there is safety here. I've ignored some of the boundaries. And when I cross over there, then they start influencing me instead of me influencing them. The Spirit of God and the advocate of God, the, the comforter of God, the spirit of truth of God is in your life so that you could be powerful enough to influence the world around you, not that the world would influence you. We need a generation of apostolics that are able to influence the world around them without watering down the message, without watering down the standards, without... That, that do it with joy and happiness and a vibrancy that, that gravitates people toward them. Listen, living for God is not boring and dull and mundane. It's the best thing you could be doing with your life. There should be a smile on your face. There should be joy in your heart that you have the opportunity to be a representative of the King of Kings. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So that means I have to train myself. And, man, I need some help. Where am I going to get some help? I get the help from two paracletes. The first one was Jesus himself. And so that opportunity is not going to be afforded to me in that state. But the second paraclete was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And it is for everybody. It is a gift of God, and it's poured out to every. Everybody, If you're seeking the Holy Ghost, and there are people Sunday night seeking the Holy Ghost, three or four. If you're seeking the, the Holy Ghost, keep seeking the Holy Ghost. It is a gift of God. Now, don't make it more complex than what it is. It is a gift, all right? There's not some mystery, and nobody's going to get up here and try to teach you how to talk in tongues. 
You, you start praying and worshiping God and lifting up your voice and magnifying God. Hallelujah. And when you do and you get in an environment that is a Holy Ghost filled environment, there's going to be a burning that takes place on the inside. Some people, when they're praying, they start doing all kinds of stuff with their hands. The energy that you feel out there, it needs to come from here because the scripture tells us it is like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So the energy that is out here, let it come from here and let it come out. And when it comes out, it takes over the most vile member that you've got. You know what that is? You could think of some vile members. <laughs> But the most vile member is your tongue. You know why? Because you can absolutely destroy people with your tongue. You, you can say some things that you later think to yourself, I wish I could take that back because that was the dumbest thing that could ever be said. And many times you can hurt, pillage, maim all kinds of people and folk and not even realize it. Our tongue is one of the hardest things to control, James said. James said it's like a raging fire. It is able to do so much damage. Why would God choose the infilling of the Holy Ghost to come through the tongue? Because it's a matter of control. Your tongue is hard to control. Your mouth is hard to control. Sometimes we all need to put a hand over our mouth. But when it comes to Jesus, he wants to speak through your mouth and through your tongue. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. What's really, really happening is, God, I'm giving you all control. I'm not ashamed to admit that my life is a mess. I'm not ashamed to admit I want your spirit. I'll never forget Sister Cormasa sitting on this front row. I think she's here. She was. There she is. She was sitting on this front row. Powerful move of God. Presence of God was moving. I'll never forget. She said in a, in a very serious tone, I want this more than I want anything in life. I said, well, sis, you can get the Holy Ghost with that kind of attitude. <laughs> it's easy to get the Holy Ghost when you want it more than anything else. Praise God. I want the Spirit of God. I want the anointing of God in my life more than anything else. You know why? Because I know without it, I can't be saved. Hey, without the renewing of the Holy Ghost in my life, I'm not going to make it. Hallelujah. I know it. I'll be the first to tell you. This is why every time I come to the house of God, I want there to be a renewing of the Holy Ghost. There are times I need it even when I'm not in the house of God. You can receive a renewing of the Holy Ghost no matter where you are. I need that renewing. I need that anointing. I need that touch of God. I need that power of God on my life because it's what's going to save me. There's all kinds of things battling against me. My mind sometimes battles against me. But the advocate says, don't listen to your mind. Cast down the imagination. The enemy comes and tries to destroy me with all of my failures. But there's an advocate to say, no, I'm going to stand in defense for you. I didn't die on Calvary so that you would be lost. I died on Calvary so that you could be saved. We are living in a society that is very, very, very difficult, very difficult to compartmentalize what is absolutely inappropriate and what is absolutely appropriate. Very, very difficult. 
extremely difficult, mainly centered around technology. That's really, technology has done an end around, and previous generations were able to lay out some clear markers as much more clearly defined. I don't think that was probably proper grammar, but it was easy to define. It was easy to, the boundaries were very clear. Nowadays, this is not the case. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. It's not the case. Social media, media, technology, online. Be careful who you're talking to. (laughs) Careful who you're communicating to. There's some disasters that have happened with people because they're lonely, connecting with folks that they don't have any business connecting to. You have no idea who that guy is that's asking you for stuff. You better not be sending stuff. You better not be sending pictures and stuff like that to people that don't. You don't even. That guy you think looks all suave. He could be some doofus somewhere that's 25 years older than you are just looking to see if you'll dish something out that then he'll take and use. This stuff happens all the time. Hey, young people, listen to me, and not only young people, everybody listen to me. Be careful. You need an ad, you need a pair, you need the Holy Ghost in your life to direct you to make right decisions and choices. You don't do anything too fast. You pray about it, you seek God, you let the anointing of God slow you down on some things. And then there are some environments you don't need to get involved in. I would be very, very suspect about any technology to where you could send a picture and it disappears in 30. 30 seconds. You know what they're doing? They're purposely trying to create a platform that you can share and be involved in stuff that is absolute evil and carnal that displeases God. It's not right. Don't get involved with it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's very, very difficult. to discern and make right discernments because not every atmosphere, not every environment is completely obvious. And therefore, we have to have some principles that go along with the scripture and the spirit of God is there to help us. Psychology Today published a an article when, where they, they question whether or not there is a sixth sense. We know that there are five senses. The five senses, touch, taste, smell, hear, see. But they said maybe there's a sixth sense that's based more on intuition. Because we're always thinking and coming to conclusions. Malcolm Gladwell put out a book called Blink, and the whole point of Blink is that the initial focus on something is usually the most intuitive and usually it's the right one. Where does that come from? And he goes through a lot of examples. One of them is uh, a purchase at the Getty Center that they spent millions of dollars on that everybody, every curator and people that examined it, they all said this is, this is legitimate, it's valid. But there were some that just that said something is off about it, and it came to find out that it was it was in fact it was not the real thing. It was a fake 
and they'd spend a lot of money on it. So they're trying to, they're, they're saying, we, we make these judgments all the time, these clues, subliminal sounds or peripheral vision, without consciously being aware of doing so. We just, we, we feel, we have a sense that something is taking place and uh, something is happening. And, and we use that intuition to determine what is right and what is wrong. <laughs> and we have a, a, a very, it has to be, it's very quick that takes place. It's intuitive. All of us have experienced some of those situations. And so they wrote an article and they spent a lot of time, psychologists doing case studies and using various techniques to try to quantify if they could reveal a sixth sense. But if, as of yet, they were not able to create a paradigm that is groundbreaking. They hadn't been able to physically say that is something that happens. And so I'm going to add to their sixth sense, <laughs> if, if they're looking for it or trying to find it, I'm going to add a seventh sense. How's that? And you probably can tell why I'm going to a seventh sense, because in the Bible, seven is a number of perfection. Perfection. If you read the Bible thematically, there's something called numerology, which is interesting. And in the whole Bible, numbers mean something. Seven means something. Seven means Perfection, perfection. Uh, so a seventh sense is the idea of perfection, abundance, and completion, completion. What makes us complete? We didn't have it before we came to God. We needed it. We knew something was amiss or something was awry, but we didn't have it, was the seventh sense, the, the spiritual awareness to help us make right decisions. The Holy Ghost is in our life. The Holy Ghost is given to us to guide us through the landmines of school and job and career, entertainment choices and what have you. I remember <coughs> in my uh, undergraduate studies in a management, organizational management class, something stuck with me. And it's, it's funny how you spend all this money and time, and, and there's a few things that stick out to you. Say, yeah, that's what I paid for. The four Ps of marketing, I paid four years for that. I remember that. Um, there was another one that stuck out to me, and it was called uh, different ways of looking at organization. You can have a micromanager, which is, is, is probably going to look at the individual person. You're late, you're this, you're that, you're not measuring up, yada, yada, yada. And then you can have a macro uh, manager that he's not really interested in the micro stuff, but he's in, he's working on a big picture kind of. It's kind of like the forest and the trees thing. A micro manager's all, he's only seeing the trees. A macro manager he's seeing the forest, but not necessarily the trees. And this particular professor said the best, probably the best approach is to fuse those two together. And he said it's not in your book, but I'll call it the contingency model, which is looking at the individual and looking at the situation or the big picture at the same time. And so he called this person times situation equals behavior. <coughs> person times situation equals behavior. Person times situation equals behavior. And he said this is, this is very powerful if you use this in management because we all know of individuals that will do things that they would never do otherwise, but because they were in, a, in a, a, a situation, in a situation, they ended up doing things that they wouldn't do on their own. As a person, they would never do that. But if they got an environment 
where the situation dictated to them, they'll, they'll, they'll do all kinds of, of situation, and that will influence their behavior. And so sometimes this is helpful because if you're wondering why the kids are doing what they're doing, jumping around, going crazy, getting into stuff, knocking stuff down, it could be because you're not managing the situation. You've got to manage the situation so that they're not bored and they're, re they're creating all kinds of stuff. And the same thing can happen in career, job, management, organizational behavior. Uh, all of that can take place. Same thing can happen in terms of living for God. The person of who I am times with the seventh sense in my life, which is the spirit of God in my life, in all the, dis all the situations that come my way. And, man, there are so many of them, so, so very many of them. I mean, there are things that will happen that you just like, <laughs> uh, uh, I was just talking with someone just recently. They were in the hospital, and I won't tell you the whole story. I'll just tell you that they found themselves in a situation, in a religious situation, in which <clears throat> folks weren't arriving at the right time, and they knew this person was an apostolic faith believer, prayed, uh, have, have watched them, their behavior, their example that they've lived. And, and so somebody wasn't getting there. The clergy wasn't getting there fast enough. And so they wanted them to do the last rites with what was taking place. And <laughs> I imagine that situation. <laughs> I, I, this is way outside of what I'm accustomed to, and that's not even my faith. I, what, I don't even know why, what, what you're asking me to do. I'll just pray and ask you in Jesus' name. Situations. We get in a lot of situations. The person, and we get in these situations. We need the Holy Ghost in our life to help us with a seventh sense to guide us through some of those things in life. God did not leave us to flounder around in a modern context, but he provided us with the proper tools to navigate our way. Psalm 32 and verse 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide you with mine eye. Psalm 48 verse 14, for this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. First John 4, 6, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. How? Because I'm listening to the voice of God. Praise God. I'm attuning my spirit so that I am sensitive to what he is directing me and what he is doing. This matters. It matters so very, very much. We need to have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that me he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The world is going to throw at us a myriad of approaches. Amen. When you go down the freeway, turn on the radio, select the book, use the internet, select video games, step out of your house, etc. You will be inundated with stimuli bombarding your senses every single day. Amen. We need the Holy Ghost to direct us and to guide us. And Paul is making the case in Hebrews chapter number 5 that those who are mature in God are those who have trained themselves to distinguish or differentiate between what is good and what is evil. And th this is the heart of our subject here tonight. The bottom line is, according to Hebrews and Paul, if, 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 
If you take Paul to be the author, some say Paul is the author, some say that that's unknown because there's nothing <coughs> specifically that says that Paul is the op- author in the book. But for the sake of, of the authorship, if Paul is suggesting to us that we need to discern between what is good and evil, then we have to train ourselves. What do you do when you train yourself in something? What do you do? What happens when you train? I'm going to go train. Brother C.J. Casey trains. I'm not sure for what. He just wants to look good. Age is coming upon him. And so he's trying to stay as skinny as he can. So he's training every single day. Did you know that this guy gets up at 445 every single day to go to the gym, which he has to because he has to go to work at 6? That's insanity. That is, I, I went with him for about three months. That was enough. I couldn't do it. I couldn't hang. I, I, there's no way. There's no way. Uh, uh, but if you're training for something, what are you doing? Are you just going out one time? I mean, somebody that's, that's say, training for the Olympics, what are they doing? I had a neighbor, Peachtree Court, a neighbor. She was Nigerian. Her husband was insurance salesman. salesman. Uh, Horig was her name. Horig. Horig was her name, and she, her language was real hard to understand, and she said something to Peyton one day, and he said, I'm not ugly, and she said, that's not what I was saying, I, he said, I'm not ugly, he thought she was telling him that he was ugly, and she wasn't, she, he just couldn't understand her, their son wanted to get into ice skating, and he wanted to be an Olympian, they, they packed up and they moved to Lake Arrowhead because there's a training facility up there. You know what they were making com- a commitment to do? They were, they were selling everything and they were making a commitment to pursue that dream and their son's life to train for the Olympics in ice skating. You know what they were doing every single this this it's every single day. There's training. There's time spent. There's effort spent. There's all this money spent. There's a lot of sacrifice that goes along with that. And in terms of us living for God, if we're going to discern between what is right and what is wrong, it's going to take some training. That's what he said in Hebrews, right? Train yourselves to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. It's a it's a training ground. Every, did you know what? Sometimes you're not going to get it right. Sometimes you're not going to get it right. But you continue to train yourself. It's not a one walk-off thing. I skated one time. I'm ready for the Olympics. Well, good luck. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's going to go very well. I went down one time on a bobsled. I'm, I'm sure I can be a bobsledder. No, this is. It, it takes training time and effort and sacrifice. And every single day. We train ourselves to distinguish. There are going to be times that you make mistakes. But mistakes give you the ability in the future to recognize what the enemy is trying to do, namely destroy you. And so you train yourselves, amen, through the power of the paraclete or the power of the comforter, or the power of the spirit of truth, or the power of the advocate to grow in maturation to where you're pretty good at distinguishing and making right decisions and mistakes. And God's anointing helps us 
Amen. As we stand together tonight, don't put Jesus in a box and expect to distinguish good from evil. God wants to grow you to maturity. I don't need any music here tonight. We'll just conclude with prayer. God wants to mature you and grow you so that you're making right decisions, mature decisions. It's not milk, but it's meat. Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, he uttered the famous imperative in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Four words. Quench not the spirit. Don't put God in a box and expect to do well training. <laughs> it won't happen. You've got to let God out and flourish and grow in your life. You can't quench the spirit. Amen. If you take the spirit of God out, the advocate out, you are going to do things that are disastrous. You need the Holy Ghost in abundance to do a perfecting work in your life. And God knows exactly what he is doing with your life. And he is bringing you to a divine, completed work. And he has enabled us by his spirit to make proper discernments. So what do you say we practice? Allen Iverson was a basketball player. He was a short guy. He was good. He was incredible. In basketball, when the average height is 6'7", the average height in basketball is the height of Bishop, the average height. He was 5'11". He was my size, 5'11". But he was fast and he was quick. He was naturally gifted, so much so that he didn't think it was important to practice. And so somebody asked him about practice, and he had some famous line about, it's practice, it's just practice. It's not the game, it's just practice. And so he felt like, huh, it's not the real game. I don't need to practice. What do I need to practice for? This is not the way it works in our walk with God. Every single day is practice, right? Every single day is practice because we know that God is trying to do a completed, perfecting work in us. And so while we're alive and breathing, I want you to look at your neighbor and ask them, are you alive? <laughs> are you breathing? If you're alive and you're breathing, you're going to be practicing every single day, amen, of making proper discernments and proper decisions and mature spiritual choices. Amen. You've got a choice. Let's practice together and see God do great things with us. Let's pray right now.